it, Red Arms. Give it your all. We'll drink the wine till the cup is dry and kiss the girls and then the cry and toss the dice until we fly and dance with Jack of the Shadows. And welcome back to another episode of Tales of a Red Arm. I'm one of your hosts, Justin. And I'm the other one, James. And today we are on Chapter 12, Woven in the Pattern. But before we jump into Chapter 12, Woven in the Pattern, we're going to do a quick recap on the previous chapter, even though it's not really related in any shape or form. Who knew? But we ended the last chapter with Ran being found out by Matt and Perrin with the banner of the dragon. And then he huddled down for the night, I guess, with uh, Loyal and Huron. And they settled down next to this ancient stone of some sort that Loyal's wanting to check out in the morning. So it'll be interesting to see what that happens. Um, but then after that, we officially ended the chapter with Put on Fane and his little explanation of how everything has happened up till this point and how he was the one who nailed the merge all to a door. And also has the horn and the Matt's dagger. And he's heading to Tomon Head somehow in some direction in some shape or form, however he's wanting to. Um, so we will then leave chapter 11 behind officially and move on to chapter 12. So we begin this chapter with Egwene and Nynaeve basically on the route towards uh, Tarvalon. And it's essentially because you got the Amarlin seats, you know, Horseborn, Palanquin, and you've got all of the different groups of people. So you got the warders, you got the swordsmen, the pikemen, the archers, all these groups get ready to like go out. And as they're leaving, um, Lord Agamar still trying to convince the Amarlin to stay and at least wait until they find the bowman who shot at her, at least apparently at her. And basically, Swan Sanche, the Amarlin seat, just kind of like, you know, you're going to find them or you're not going to find them, but I have to go to Tarvalon regardless, and it's urgent. And just like Ingtar's quest is urgent. So I'm leaving now. And Agomar keeps trying to like, but your life is a danger. And I'm like, she's going to be surrounded by thousands of soldiers. What does she have to worry about that you can do? <laughs> and basically Swan just laughs at him without the amusement, obviously. And she's trying to, like, tell him that, you know, it's by the time you get the guy, it's going to be too late in the day for leaving. And then there's a lot of people trying to see me dead. So it doesn't matter if this one is trying to see me dead and they still failed. And, you know, you can always send me word that you found somebody and that's who they were. But she kind of, like, looks up at the air areas where the arrow had to come from. He's like, well, I'm pretty sure the Bowman's probably already left from Faldara. And she basically cuts off Agamar's attempts to keep trying to get her to stay and stick around. 
And so Gwen and Nynaeve are basically getting ready to leave with them. And they kind of end up in front of the Amarlin Sea. And Moraine is with Swan. And the Amarlin takes notice of them and mentions to Moraine, like, hey, these are yours, right? And Moraine's like, pretty much, yeah, these are mine. And Swan notices the spark in them and is impressed slash pleased by them. And <laughs> Egwene notices that the way that the Omerlin is looking at her and Nynaeve is the same way that the carpenter, Master Padwin, back in Emmons Field, looks at his tools. <laughs> and it's like, you have a purpose? You have a purpose. And they're for these things and that things. And then the Omerlin's like, all right, we're leaving, so everybody to horse. And <laughs> so the warders go around, grab their mounts, and do their basically secret service security personnel job. Um, and they're doing this whole Lord Agamar trying to do the goodbye. I don't really know what you'd call it. Uh, assembly slash help me out here. What, what would you even call it? Like a, a finale? Help me out, James. I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't just... It's like a custom of some sort. What kind of custom is it? Uh, just, a farewell custom yeah. or something? I don't know. And either way. Yeah, we'll, just, we'll just go with farewells then, I guess. Yeah, the farewell custom of, I guess, Shinar and whatever. And um, we have... Egwene jumping onto Bella, and you know, Nynaeve shows up, and you got Liani riding uh, next to the palanquin. And basically, they have all the columns with the white flame, and you got all the guards and everything, trumpets, all that type of stuff. I like, hate to be a trumpeteer in a military group, uh, but uh, a bit. Yeah, just any sort of musician. Yeah. Imagine you're going to be deaf by the end. Pretty much, or just exhausted from how much you have to blow, put air into it while also walking, and having to stick up with the party and the group and everything. So, and it's a long, long line. So it's like this giant snake going into this trees, and then um, Egwene looks back at Valdara until they realize that the trees in the hills hide the walls and towers, and you can't see it anymore. So. Nynaeve's riding next to Egwene and was talking about like how Rand's going to be alright and he's got Lord Ingtar and the 20 lances with him. And I was like, oh yeah, guys. 20 lances. Oh boy! That's that's quite the military operation you got going there. But, um... She's trying to, like, calm Egwene being like, you know, can't do anything of her own, but you know, looking at Moraine and all the Aes Sedai and everything, like how they are, you know, in for it from Nani's perspective. Like, well, not yet. We can't do anything. And they head westward and then it'll eventually head south. But 
they go make camps and everything, and the Omerlin basically makes them march and don't allow them to camp until basically no light is available. And the Aes Sedai get their own tents, and the Omerlin and the Keeper get their tent, and uh, Moraine goes to the Sisters from the Blue, the soldiers just sleep on the ground and whatever encampment they have brought. Um, the warders pretty much just wrap themselves in their cloaks near the Aes Sedai that they belong to. And I hate to say the word belong to because it makes them seem like a piece of furniture or something, but essentially they are treated like a piece of furniture and they are seen as a piece of furniture. But it's basically who they're bonded to. So, I mean, it's, it's technically a two-way bond, but sometimes I feel like the Aes Sedai treat them as less than. It's kind of annoying in that regard, but well, you do kind of have to see it as you like, um, you know, like this whole kind of knight errant sort of position here, where like it's his job to protect either fair maiden, yeah. So he's, but... ba he's basically in the employ of her, and so you know, she's she's kind of takes in this whole kind of de facto leader role from it. But if you think about it from like a, a, a strategic or tactical defense standpoint. Him being in the tent with her, even if like in a different section, is actually superior because what if somebody comes to the back of the tent and cuts their way through to, you know, kill the helpless Aes Sedai or whatever? More than likely she'll put up her own traps and stuff because that's just what Aes Sedai do. But, or I should say channelers in general. Um, but him being on the front, he does have some boosts, I guess, to... Uh, his awareness, his senses, his uh, ability to like have lower exhaustion over a lot more of uh, exertion and stuff. But being in the tent would at least show like a modicum, like have like a front. I mean, for one, they don't have small tents. They're not small tents because they're very proud individuals. So they have some moderately large uh, tents probably tall enough to walk in and around as much as they wanted to. And in the Blue's case, it's big enough because the, all of the, the sisters are sharing their tent. So two from each of the Ajahs, but Blue has three because Moraine's there separately from the ones that came with uh, the Amarlin from Tarvalin. So you got three women sleeping in the same tent. So it's big enough at least for three women and you know they're not going to be, like, sleeping shoulder to shoulder. So there's plenty of space. You could easily have, a, like, a, uh, an entrance forum or whatever and then have your warders pack in there and they can, you know, sleep however they want to sleep. But at least they're out of the weather, if you will, because for all we know, one of these nights is going to be pouring rain on them. You're just going to leave your warder sitting outside? That would be stupid. But... Maybe they have some sort of a canopy or something on the front that prevents the orders from getting rained on or something. But I just I don't know. I just think it, it would make more sense. Like, if you're not having them patrol and you're going to have them sleep, you might as well have them sleep in the same room as you so that they can react faster than being like, I have to get through a freaking sheet to get them to my Aes to protect them. It, it's just It just seems like a poor way to do it, and I would probably not do it the way they did it because of those very uh. reasons. 
Uh, I'm just imagining you as he just see like a warder right now. Just see, he just see like uh, making this argument to your eyes to die, and they're just like, I'm not referring no, to me being. I'm not referring to making the argument as the warder. I'm referring to if no, I no, had, I, if I, I had a that. warder as an Aes Sedai, that's how I would do it. Is I would be like, no, I want my no. warder closer to me, not further away. But either way, it, I don't know. It just it it just bothered me. <laughs> uh, I, uh, I know many women that would force their men to sleep outside just for the sake of it. In the doghouse. Yeah, obviously. Yeah, that's that's kind of the image that goes into my head. But I mean. I'm sure there's a nice Aes Sedai somewhere. Um, but basically, they set up camp. You know, everything's happening. Um, the Reds are the oddballs out because they don't have any water sitting in front of their tent because they can do it themselves or whatever. Um, and the Greens are always seem more festive because, you know, they got a lot of warders. <laughs> they got four warders between two Aes Sedai. Um, but then Egwene and Nynaeve set up their tent and they're inside and Lan shows up and then takes Nynaeve with him out into the night and goes away a little bit and of course Egwene wants to sneak a peek at what's going out and she can't really hear anything but that Nynaeve basically erupts in anger who's shocked at this come on people um, and then stalks back and wraps herself in blankets and doesn't want to talk. So Egwene, you know, just noticing that maybe her cheeks were wet and she's hiding her face at the corner of the blanket. So obviously Nynaeve's emotionally distraught at this point. And Lan outside is just watching the tent before uh, basically stalking away and doesn't come back again. Um, Moraine leaves them completely alone and just barely, barely even acknowledges them like a nod as she walks by when she sees them. And she's always talking to other Aes Sedai, except for the Red Sisters. And she draws them aside one by one as they're riding. And the Amarlin basically doesn't allow them to stop very much. So they basically have to kind of just deal with the constant travel. And then Egwene kind of thinks in her head that, you know, Moraine doesn't have time for them anymore. Like, you know, she doesn't really say it. She says it. She doesn't actually think in her head, but she's observing it through her mind, through her mouth. But you get what I mean. Um, and out of all the Aes Sedai, Moraine's the only one that they know. And she's she feels like Moraine's the only one that they can trust. But she doesn't like the, she doesn't like the thought of that. She's like, well... She found us. We're on our way to Tarvalin, so she has other things to concern her now. And then he's just like, yeah, I'll believe she's done with us when we're dead. Or she's dead. But different other Aes Sedai end up showing up to their tents, and Egwene <laughs> nearly jumped out of her skin um, the first night of Aldara when the flaps opened up and you get this plump, square-faced Aes Sedai showing up graying hair, vaguely distracted look in her dark eyes, and ducks into their tent. Um, that's a nice description for Varen. Uh, <laughs> and pretty much Varen introduced herself. She's like, I'm Varen Mathwin. 
the cheese of the brown odd job, but they don't really mention that part here. And but Varen basically points out like you know she's a Guinevere and naive Almira from the two rivers that was once Menethrin. And Egwene and Nynaeve are like, is this a summons to the Amarlan Sea? And Baron's like, ha, no. That's <laughs> 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 basically what it was. And the Amarlan's not going to like deal with women who aren't even novices. She has way more important things to do. But you never know. You know, you both have considerable potential, especially you, Nynaeve. And then she kind of like, well, you know, one day, maybe, but not today. You might have a little bit more. And Varen's like, well, Egwene, I'm actually here for you to give you a lesson. And you've been getting ahead of yourself, I'm afraid. And Egwene's like, what have I done? I don't know anything. And she's like, oh, nothing's wrong. Well, not really. Just somewhat dangerous, maybe, but not really wrong. And they sit down. And it's like, oh, come on, sit. I don't want to like, crane my neck all the time. So Egwene sits down and he's like, what have I done dangerous but not exactly wrong? It's like, why? You've been channeling. What? <laughs> and Egwene's literally just sitting there gaping at her. And Nynaeve's like, that's ridiculous. What are we going to Tarvalin for, if not for that? And Egwene's like, but Moraine said I've been giving me lessons. And I'm going to have you actually pick up this next part. All right. <clears throat> Varen held up her hands even quiet, and they fell silent. She might seem vague, but she was an Aes Sedai after all. Child, do you think Aes Sedai immediately teaching every girl who he says she wants you to be one of us to channel? Well, I suppose you are not exactly every girl, but just the same. She shook her head gravely. Then why did she? Nynaeve demanded. Had he been no lessons here for her, and Aquini was easily not sure if it he rankled in Nynaeve or not. Because Aquini had already channeled. Varane said he. Sorry, Varane said he patiently. <laughs> I've got a character <laughs> with a dangerously close name to Varane, so it's going to throw me this entire time. <laughs> Varane said patiently. So? So have I. Nynaeve did not sound happy about it. Right, give me a second. Your circumstances are different, child. That Yori is still alive, he shows you here whether the various crises. But he did it on your own. I think you know how he... I think you know how lucky you are. Of every four women forced here to do what you did, only one survives. Of course, Wilders. Varen grim grimaced. Forgive me. I am afraid that is what we near the White Tower often call women who, without any training, have managed to get some rough control. Random, and barely enough for you to be called control, usually. Usually, like you. But still, control of a sort. Wilders have your difficulties, it is true. Almost always they have you built up your walls to give themselves away from knowing what it was they were doing. And those walls interfere with your conscious control. The longer those walls have you, 
have to build, the harder it is to tear them down. But if they can be demolished, well, some of the most adept of his sisters ever have been wilders. Nynaeve shifted irritably and looked at him at the entrance as if he was thinking of leaving. I don't see what any of that has here to do with me, Egwene said. Theron blinked at her, almost appearing wondering where she had to come from. With you? Why, nothing. Your problem is quite different. Most girls who you want here to become like Sedai, even most of your girls here with the seed inside them, like you, are afraid of it, too. Even after they reach you at the tower, even after they learned you what to do and how, for moments here they need to be led, step by step, by a sister, or by one of the accepted. But not you. From what Moraine tells me, you leaped into it as soon as you knew you could. Fumbling your way through the dark, you never thought of whether there was a bottomless pit under your next step. Oh, there have been others like you. You are not unique. Lorraine was here one herself. Once she knew what you had done, there was nothing for it but for to begin teaching you. Did Marie never explain any of this to you? Never. Egwene wished to hear her voice it was not so breathless. She had other matters to deal with. Nynaeve snorted softly. Well, Lorraine was Lorraine has he never believed in me telling anyone anything she did not need to know. Knowing serves you no real purpose. But then neither does not knowing. Myself, I always prefer knowing it or not. Is there one? A pit, I mean? Obviously not so far, Baron said, tilting ahead. But the next step, she shrugged. You see, child, the more you try to touch the true source, the more you try to channel the one power, the easier it becomes you to actually do it. Yes, in the beginning, you stretch out of the source, and more often than not, is he like grasping at hair. Or you actually touch Sidar. But even here, when you feel the one power flowing through you, you find that you can do nothing with it. Or you do something, as it isn't what you intended at all. That is danger. Usually with the guidance and training, and the girl's only fear slowing, slowing her down, the ability to touch the source and the ability to channel the power coming together with the ability to control. Sorry, control what she is doing. Sorry, that's a dumb bite. But you began trying to channel without anyone near there to teach you any control at all of what you would do. I know you don't even think you're very far along, and you are not, but you're something you're one who has here taught herself to run up hills, sometimes at least, without ever learning how he to be run down the other side, or to walk. Sooner or later you're going to fall, if you don't learn it to be you, learn the rest of it. Now, I'm not here talking about anything like here what happens here when you one of those poor men begins channeling. 
You will not go mad. You won't die. Not with the assistance to teach and guide you. But what might he did you do entirely by accident? Never meaning to. For instance, he, for an instant, he, the vagueness had dropped even from the Baron's eyes. For an instant, it seemed, the eyes and eyes, the gaze had to be flickered from Egwene to Nynaeve as sharply as the Arblins had. Your innate abilities are strong, child, and they will grow stronger. You must learn to control them before you harm yourself, or someone else, or a great many people. That is what Marina was trying to teach you. That is what I will try to help you with here tonight. And what her sister will help you with every night until we put you near to... I know we went over the pronunciation earlier, but... Shariams? Shariams. Shariams. Shariams, the most capable hands. She is the mistress of novices. So, a little bit of fun information. Um, it's just the fact that Varen's like, you've been doing something dangerous. It's like, but what have I been doing that's wrong dangerous? Well, not really wrong, just dangerous. You've been channeling the powers. Like, yeah, yeah. the lessons I was given by a full-fledged Aes Sedai was my fault? What? <laughs> um, but we're assuming she's referring to the fact that she was channeling before Moraine showed up, but the fact that she didn't really know how to makes it kind of complex and trying to understand in I mean, what particular venue because I mean she was I mean she was all like uh Egwene was also like channeling just like kind of not kind of out of Moraine's sight, as it were. Like Yeah, but did, like, not until her, but... Moraine pulled it out of her, is what I'm saying. Yeah, but even even still, I think you know it's probably not a good idea to do some uh, you know personal study, as it were. At this, well, at yeah, this point of... yeah, I get that and everything, but there's not really you know, a way for Varen to know that, and no, nothing of this, nothing of this chapter since they've left Valdara has mentioned her sneaking off to do this kind of channeling on her own. So. Varen wouldn't have seen her with the glow around her. It'd be very dumb to do around all the other Aes Sedai because the Aes Sedai would be able to see the glow around her. And, and that's why no. and that's why I would have put her past her. Yeah, what? Is she stupid? <laughs> uh, I'm, do it for the I'm biggest sorry. audience. I'm, I'm sorry, but just, there are certain bits of me like Egwene, which I just think about as like, you know what? She is actually kind of stupid. Kind of. <laughs> uh, anyway, it's just yeah. I won't get into it. <laughs> You're gonna upset all the Egwene fans. Um, Good. <laughs> oh man. Anyway, um, so Nynaeve kind of like sticks up for Egwene and stuff, and you're like, you know, that's kind of just weird that you're getting upset at Egwene for all this, even though she's been getting lessons. And it's like, well, yeah, she's getting lessons because she's already channeled. And we're like, didn't we just establish that, like, Egwene didn't even realize she could channel? Like, so if she did, it would have been completely subconscious. And Moraine would have had to have seen some example of this, or there's something about the one power that when you channel it, it's 
consistently around you that is noticeable of some shape or form. Um, we know Nynaeve had instances where she was younger before she became the Wisdom and she would heal somebody that should have taken a long time to recover because she was sad about them or angry about the situation and they would have a, like a miraculous recovery. But when you jump into like the actual circumstances and stuff that Varen picks and is like, you know, you had all these different instances um, that you channel before you're actually in the tower. And that's what makes you a wilder. Um, unlike the girls who could eventually learn to channel that are taught from the beginning inside the white tower it's a little bit different um so it's it's a very weird comparison because you got your normals and your wilders and i feel like being a wilder would have more benefits to it but obviously at tarvalin wilders have to basically unlearn everything they did before the tower and then show back up with a complete blank slate of a mind for how to do it the way the Aes Sedai want to. Very much like the educational system, where it's basically like, you're not allowed to know anything else, you're just knowing what we tell you. Because in the Aes Sedai's mind, no one knows better than them. And There is kind of that trope in fantasy, like the whole sort of idea of uh, schooled magic and wild magic. Which, you can kind of see, like, um, arguments for like both sides of it like um i know that in i think it was dragon age 2 like that was a big theme on like whether our mages should be like controlled by the uh i think they were called chantries or the circle but basically like the the whole reason behind it was here that they're scared of mages because they're like oh they're just living weapons i mean uh it, it it depends it depends greatly on the world and it, like the uh i guess the powers that powers that be to a certain extent i think i would agree um but at the same time like most wilders will fake it like oh i i I've, you know, given up all my past ways and whatnot. Like, I'm not going to go forth and do magic the same way I've been doing it for, you know, since until I came here, like, for forever. And then when they're out, they're like, oh, well, here's a bunch of stuff I learned beforehand on top of everything that the Aes Sedai taught me. And so they utilize that into their little arsenal, which, in my opinion... Shouldn't be a bad thing, although there are certain things you can't do as an Aes Sedai because of the nature of what you channeled before you came to the tower. And that's usually something that is taboo or something of that nature. Um, okay, but, again, there are kind of arguments for both sides of that, I guess. There are, I just, I don't like any time someone's like, no, you're wrong, I'm right, and do it my way. Just yeah, I'm not a big fan of the, that. Uh, uh, yeah, the, well, again, the theme appears in uh, the Owl House, and just because he like 
before everyone did like magic block like as a big thing of chaos and then I think it's Improbellos, I think, comes along and he then like installs like the um uh coven system so that like if you join a coven you can only do that coven style of magic for the rest of your life. You can't do any other sort of styles of magic. Which is like he well, it it means well, the the whole argument of the show is that like you know magic should be free and wild, and this kind of control is unnatural. Well, I like to think of it in like the forms of like think of what you can do when you have different types of magics and you intertwine them. Like for example, the elemental magics, where you know. What happens if you use air with earth? You take like earth, punch up a rock or something into the air, and then use air to basically grab it and fling it at somebody at extremely high speeds is basically making a homemade earth machine gun. Like, you're just like chucking pebbles or big rocks or whatever, whether you want to be artillery or infantry. I'm pretty sure you literally see that in uh, Avatar: The Last Airbender. Pretty much, but the thing with the thing with the Avatar: The Last Airbender is they basically they use like force as Earth, so like they kick the ground to pop a brick up, and then they kick the rock. I'm saying like you can utilize multiple things. So, for example, because in like the Wheel of Time, you don't have to kick the ground to get a rock to pop up in front of you. You can just use a weave. The weave will do the work for you. So if you pull one out of the ground and you need to lift it, if you use air, you can chuck it into the air because otherwise if you're lifting it, you have to use actual strength, which is based upon you and your size to whatever object it is. So when you have this rock, if you want a big rock out, you can use air to kind of like chuck it into the air and then use air to like grab it and lasso it and throw it at somebody. But you're going to have to utilize the tools you got. But if you do combinations, you can do something cool. But if you're only ever limited to Earth, you're limited on what you're actually capable of doing, which is why being limited to one school of magic would be the dumbest thing in the world. Because uh, I want, I want of all like, a billion uh, reasons. But... It's, it's a show that I like, but I think it definitely did better. But... I'm not familiar with it, so I don't know all the details behind it, so I can't really comment on whether it's good, bad, or the other, but um, uh, the concept I behind magic it, is just very yeah. weirdly used by a lot of authors. I know. I've recently discovered um, uh, I think it's Brandon Sanderson's I, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm terrible with names to begin with, but like his three his three like major like uh, rules when it comes to magic. Which I've really just been like trying to like do stuff by. Well, there's the soft magic system, the hard magic system, and all that type of stuff. And I prefer the concept of magic as magic is the unknown. You don't know what it is. That's why you call it magic. Like, how do you do that? I don't know. That's magic. Like, it's, I did this thing that allows me to shoot fire from my hands i have no idea how it happened it's from an alternate source it just happened that way and even if you know like a magic word or if you know the right motions depending on whatever the magic system is based on 
The fact is, it's still magic because it's not known. You might know how to repeat the process over and over again and teach that process to other people, and they learn it as well, but that doesn't mean you're understanding the magic itself properly. And with this being said, that kind of a magic is unlimited because it's not like energy where there's a limited amount of it in the universe. Magic has no end because it's an enormous pool. And I mean, that partially depends on the universe that comes in and whatnot. I like the universes where there's like some sort of a creator character that creates everything. It's like, okay, well, then the magic comes from that character because that character cannot just be used up. So you could use magic all day, every day, and you'd never use it up. The well is never dry. However, the downside to that means that everyone can just magic, throw magic, deal damage with magic, heal with magic, whatever, all day, every day, all the time with no consequences. Which means that if somebody's a villain with it, then they can do some heavy damage to people who are not villains. But you can put in those types of, like drawbacks to it where it's like okay i have this magic capacity it's infinite however my use of it is not infinite because of you know mental strain or if i get knocked unconscious you know countless countless ways to give some sort of a drawback like i have like a mental stamina and as a, the more i use it consistently the more like I can basically like squeeze that muscle of magical stamina and increase the length I can use it without, you know, hurting myself. But at the same time, if I overdo it, I could have some really bad consequences, which means you have to kind of hold yourself in place. Um, I kind of like the. Um, I just don't like, like I don't like heavily restrained magic systems. I guess is what I'm saying. No. I, I kind of prefer the uh, like Warhammer version where like psychers or sorcerers tap into the warp, which is a, like a giant like alternate dimension, which is just a sea of chaotic energies. But the thing is that the warp itself is a naturally corrupting thing, and so and there are also things within the warp that want to like kind of corrupt you and you like you know draw you in and do so that like your soul becomes theirs and. You have to be very so, careful with it. Yeah, you have to like be quite like, like just ardent with your will, and you sort of just not give in. But then you like evil characters, like people like with chaos, just they like they just lose themselves to the madness, and yeah, usually just go insane. But they're also incredibly powerful. So you know what you gotta do. Yeah, we can't fight that man. He's insane. <laughs> Best time to fight him is why he's insane. Um, but anyway, that kind of magic stuff and everything makes it really weird when you get to the whole Wilders versus trained in the tower Aes Sedai. But while Wilders do struggle in some areas, they also excel in other areas that trained in the tower Aes Sedai cannot do. Because they didn't just naturally do it. They have to be taught how to do stuff. So it will take them a lot longer to learn the things that the Wilders have already known. But that being said, um, you got Varen basically like, you know, your problem's not an issue. You know, it's a pretty standard issue. You know, you got to be led 
step-by-step, foot-by-foot, by a sister, or one of the accepted, but you basically jumped as far as you could into it instead of, like, being led with baby steps. You kind of just flung yourself into this, and um, there's basically a dangerous play at work where if you just fling yourself at it and you fall off the edges, you're basically going to plummet yourself down to some form of oblivion that's going to destroy you, your friends, your family, anyone around you because you couldn't control it, burn you out of the pattern, or cut you off from the source, which will eventually lead to death. Um, and a bunch of things. So it's like, you know, we got to be careful with that. And <laughs> Varen's like, yeah, didn't she explain this to you? You're like, no. But she had other things to deal with. So we also learn things about like when you try, the more you try to touch the true source of the one power, the more you try to channel it, the easier it becomes to do it. So practice makes perfect is essentially the, the rule of thumb in this regard. Um, but when you feel the one power flowing through, you find you can't, you can basically do nothing with it or you do something and it isn't what you intended at all. And that's what makes the one power extremely dangerous. Um, so you get guidance and training at the tower, but you also have the girl's own fears that slows her down and the ability to touch the, the true source and to channel the one power come together with the ability to control what you're doing and everything. So basically reiterating everything that Varen says, it's just learning about the one power and the history of like how you can use it or how you should use it, how you shouldn't use it. All those different types of things. So I, I really like this reading part because it gives us a bit more insight into the actual usage of the One Power. How the Aes Sedai culture, you know, trains people, whether they be uh, trained by the Tower or Wilders. They have their own way of dealing with each of those types of people. And that it's not just necessarily based upon how strong your abilities and stuff like that is. It, it depends on whether or not you can learn to control what you have. So if you have great potential, like Egwene and Aniv allegedly have, according to the other Aes Sedai, then you have to be able to know how to harness that extreme power to be able to use it and utilize it at, to its full potential. So I guess I really like that section because of that kind of information. Um, so after that, Egwene wonders if Varen knows about Rand, but she's like, well, if she knew about Rand, she wouldn't have left, let him leave Valdara, if she even suspected it a bit. And so Egwene's like, yeah, I'll, I'll give it a shot. And then he was like, well, I'm going to go sit by the fire and leave you alone. And Varen's like, yeah, you should stick around. You could learn from this. And from what Morange told me, it doesn't. It only takes a little bit of training for you to be ex raised to the accepted. And then he was like, "Well, thanks for the offer, but I'll wait until we reach Tarvalin." And then tries to like let Egwene know if she needs her, she'll be out by the fire. But then I get to read. By any gauge, Varen cut in. You are a woman grown, naive. 
Usually the younger a novice, the better she does. Not with the training, necessarily, but because a novice is expected to do as she's told, when she is told, and without question. It is really only of use once the actual training has reached a certain point. A hesitation in the wrong place, then, or a doubt of what you have been told to do, can have tragic consequences. But it is better to follow the discipline all the time. The accepted, on the other hand, are expected to question things, as it is felt they know enough to know what question to ask and when. Which do you think you would prefer? Nynaeve's hands tightened on her skirt, and she looked at the tent flaps again, frowning. Finally, she gave a short nod and settled back down on the floor. I suppose I might as well, she said. Good, Farron said. Now, you already know this part, Egwene, but Nynaeve's sake, I will take you through it step by step. In time, it will become second nature. You will do it all faster than you can think of it. But now it is best to go slowly. Close your eyes, please. It goes better in the beginning, if you have no distractions at all. Egwene closed her eyes. There was a pause. Nynaeve, Farron said, please close your eyes. It will really go better. Another pause. Thank you, child. Now you must empty yourself. Empty your thoughts. There is only one thing in your mind. The bud of a flower. Only that. Only the bud. You can see it in every detail. You can smell it. You can feel it. Every vein of every leaf. Every curve of every petal. You can feel the sap pulsing. Feel it. Know it. Be it. You and the bud are the same. You are one. You are the bud. Her voice droned on hypnotically, but Egwene no longer really heard. She had done this exercise before with Moraine. It was slow, but Moraine had said it would come more quickly with practice. Inside herself, she was a rosebud. Red petals curled tightly. Yet suddenly, there was something else. Light. Light pressing on the petals. Slowly the petals unfolded, turning towards the light, absorbing the light. The rose and the light were one. Egwene and the light were one. She could feel the merest trickle of it seeping through her. She stretched for more, strained for more. In an instant, it was all gone, rose and light. Moraine had also said it could not be forced. With a sigh, she opened her eyes. Nynaeve had a grim look on her face. Varen was as calm as ever. You cannot make it happen, the Aes Sedai was saying. You must let it happen. You must surrender to the power before you can control it. This is complete foolishness, Nynaeve muttered. I don't feel like a flower. If anything, I feel like a blackthorn bush. I think I will wait by the fire after all. As you wish, Varen said. Did I mention that novices do chores? They wash dishes, scrub floors, do laundry, serve at table, all sorts of things. I myself think the servants do a better job of it by far, but it is generally felt that such labor builds character. 
Oh, you are staying? Good. Well, child, remember that even a blackthorn bush has flowers sometimes. Beautiful and white among the thorns. We will try it one at a time. Now, from the beginning, Egwene, close your eyes. Several times before Varen left, Egwene felt the flow of the power flow through her. But it was never very strong, and the most she managed with it was to produce a stir in the air that made the tent flap stir slightly. She was sure a sneeze could have done so much. She had done better with Moraine, sometimes at least. She wished it was Moraine doing the teaching. Nynaeve never even felt a glimmer, or so she said. By the end, her eyes were set and her mouth so tight that Egwene was afraid she was about to begin berating Varen as if the Aes Sedai were a village woman intruding on her privacy. But Varen simply told her to close her eyes once again, this time without Egwene. Egwene was sitting watching the two between her yawns. The night had grown late, well past the time she would usually be asleep. Nynaeve wore a face like a week-old death. Her eyes clamped shut as if she never meant to open them, and her hands white-knuckled fists on her lap. Egwene hoped the wisdom's temper did not break loose, not after she had been held in this long. Feel the flow through you. Varen was saying. Her voice did not change, but suddenly there was a gleam in her eyes. Feel the flow. Flow of the power. S flow like a breeze. A gentle stirring in the air. Egwene sat upright. This was how Varen had guided her each time she had actually had the power flowing through her. A soft breeze. The slightest movement of air. Soft. Abruptly, the stacked blankets burst into flame like fatwood. Nynaeve opened her eyes with a yell. Egwene was not sure if she screamed or not. All Egwene knew was that she was on her feet trying to kick out the burning blankets outside before the tent was on fire. Before she managed a second kick, the flames vanished, leaving wispy smoke rising from the charred mass and the smell of burned wool. Well, Varen said. Well... I did not expect to have to douse a fire. Don't faint on me, child. It's all right now. I took care of it. I... I was angry. Nynaeve spoke through trembling lips and bloodless face. I heard you talking about a breeze, telling me what to do, and fire just popped into my head. I... I didn't mean to burn anything. It was just a small fire in, in my head. She shuddered. I suppose it was a small fire at that. Varen barked a laugh that was gone with another. Look at Nanny's face. Are you all right, child? If you feel ill, I can... Nanny shook her head and Varen nodded. Rest is what you need. Both of you. I've worked you too hard. You must rest. The Armorlin will have us all up and away before first light. Standing, she towed the char... She towed the charred blankets. I will have some more blankets brought to you. I hope this shown both of you how important control is. You must learn to do what you mean to do, and nothing more. 
aside from harming someone else. If you draw more of the power than you can safely handle, and you cannot handle much yet, but it will grow. If you draw too much, you can destroy yourself. You can die, or you can burn yourself out. Destroy what ability you have. As, she, as if she had not told them they were walking a knife's edge, she added cheerfully, Sleep well. With that, she was gone. So I enjoyed that little section. Yeah. Um, I can see it like. <laughs> Varen's pretty cool. Um, but I, the reason I like this whole section was that it gives us another look at at how the one power is attained in terms of control to utilize it, but also in a bit more of the White Towers culture again, I guess, where it kind of expounds a bit more about how it functions than the previous section that you had read. But we have things like, you know, well, novices do all these types of things. Like they wash dishes, scrub floors, do laundry, serve at table, all those types of stuff. And even though the Aes Sedai believe the serpents do it better, it's basically a chore system to kind of build up some semblance of, I guess, responsibility or discipline, whatever you want to yeah. call it, into really a novice. Great. Yeah, it probably creates like a good sort of work ethic, and also, um, I can't remember where it was mentioned to, but like Aes Sedai come from like all walks of life, right? Yes, like the current Amrlin was a fisherman's daughter. <laughs> yeah, so something like this, it would sort of kind of bring everyone down to the same level. So you know, some prince or some merchant lord would be like on the equal setting to like you know a farm girl. Yeah, but I'm thinking it's also partially because when they get novices, novices are really young. I think they go as young as like eight years old up to like 14, I think is the oldest. So they're used to having them really young. Occasionally they go a little bit older, but it's not as common, I don't believe. But that's when they enter. Um, you can be a novice for 20 years. Like, I mean, you could literally just be a novice indefinitely technically so it's not guaranteed that you get to a certain age and you're gonna like automatically move up the ranks or anything if anything they will send you away but very rarely will they do that it's mostly they'll just keep you there and you'll be a permanent indentured servant essentially because you're not passing into your further classes of like being an accepted but we also learned about the accepted where the accepted are you know we already know that they're they're expected to question things because they have the bit of control they need, and now they can do other things, and then they yeah, typically now they them. can actually start exploring. Yeah, power just because they like know little the pitfalls and but stuff. But they still have duties, but their duties are much lighter than a novice's. Um, like they still have to teach novice classes and stuff when the Aes Sedai are not available, or to do so to help them basically get ready to be an Aes Sedai because they're going to have to do that as an Aes Sedai if they stick around for that as well. Um, but personally, I think the reason novices have it so uh, busy, I guess, 
um, is the discipline aspect of like chores because being as novices are typically really young when they come in, they they have the same mindset of like child and a child that is taught like you got to do chores, you got to pull your weight, you have to do these things to build up a sense of responsibility and whatnot. It I mean, we do this with our kids nowadays in our culture, where it's basically like when our kids do chores and stuff and they take care of themselves and their siblings or whatever, they're learning a bit about what it's like to take care of others, but also take care of themselves. But it also teaches them that discipline that they would have less of otherwise. Because if you're always spoiled and handled, handed everything and your parents buy you all the stuff you ever wanted, your odds of discipline being high are much, much lower. And since you're in a position where you're going to be in a position of power and strength and you're going to be able to do some pretty crazy things that normal people would never expect, it's more than likely that you're not going to respect others and think less of them more often if you don't have that kind of a discipline. And some people will still yeah. hold to that even through the novice chores and whatnot, where they think that they're better than somebody else because they come from a better background or whatever. Or some think it because they came from a lower background that they can look down on others because they actually had to work their way up there. So therefore they are superior by that means. And it's, it's, it's an egoist thing and there's a lot of ego when you have power. So it's not unheard of for some of the most powerful individuals in the world to be egotistical about something. So it's, 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 it's to be expected more or less. Um, but I think that the whole point of doing those novice chores and whatnot is to kind of put a little humility into them so that when they get to a certain point, especially if you go into the gray, which does like mediation between nations and stuff, you're not just exploding on everybody at every point or telling them what to do or something like oh, that. Just, I, <laughs> I do. <laughs> you will give all your money to this other country. You will stop sending soldiers in. Like, like no, it's like they, they have to use proper mediation, word manipulation, and all that stuff to prevent conflicts between nations. No, I, I just I just want to see like the eyes to die, uh, just doing that, but like having the same vocabulary as uh, Uno, <laughs> just calling her go kisses and stuff, and somehow getting the job done anyway, just because I that good. Technically, I mean the Amarlin's basically that way, but with a different vocabulary because she grew yeah, up in a different area. Has a little bit of tact though, so a little bit more tact, but she can lose her temper. But she's also a very strong-willed woman, and that's like. They are the tale of two cities, essentially, where um, you have Swan, who comes from this lowly fisherman village house, family, home stuff. And then you have Moraine coming from Kyrian, from a noble house, and being a bigwig. And they both show up as novices together, and they basically become best friends by going through that process. Now, Moraine didn't have the prissy princess kind of mentality when she came in to begin with but that's very rare for someone in her position you know i mean i'm sure you know the same thing like well my daddy owns this company or my mother you yeah. know 
gave me all the best of the best and we had servants and this that and they get really mentally thinking that they can use that way of life when they become a novice and boss the other novices around i mean it's it's pretty much school bullies in a nutshell really they think that like i'm the popular one therefore you have to do my bidding and that's not how the white tower works and for a good reason so i like this little section because of those things it points out like hey here's how you have to act as a novice but the accepted on the flip side are given more freedom and since naive is where naive is she's less likely to become an, a novice because of her age and her extensive usage of the one power that she can, she potentially has the chance to coming in as an accepted provided she sits through these lessons which is why she's gritting her teeth because she really doesn't want to um but Egwene's kind of just like, yeah, as long as I get to go to the tower, that's all I care about. So, it's yeah, just the you know, stars in her eyes. Just, oh. pretty, pretty much. You're not wrong. Dream come true. Yeah, pretty much. So, after all of this, you know, Varen left. Egwene and Nynaeve are hugging each other and, like, it's okay, Nynaeve. It's okay. There's no need to be frightened. I'm not frightened. <laughs> and she's like, I'm not frightened. Like, she she looks sideways at the smoking blankets and then twitches her eyes away. She's like, takes a little bit more than that, to f like like fire to frighten me. But she doesn't look at the blankets again, even when the warder comes in to take them away and leave with, or leave new behind. Um, Varen doesn't okay. show up again. I seriously okay. do love it in ninety. Just what? No, I no, just see the more, like the more she's in the like the series, I I just, I just love her more. So <laughs> you warming up to her. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's not just fire. I I just <laughs> that was so bad. It was almost one of my jokes. Wow. Uh... <laughs> is it hot in here? Or is it burnt blankets? Uh... <laughs> but yeah, it's just like with her, with her, like she's so stubborn and so like opposite like she always says stuff the opposite of her feelings like that doesn't bother me as she quakes in fear like it's it's so naive but it's so funny at the same time but then we have like Varen doesn't show up again and she said she wouldn't so they go south and west and they're like doing this little stagger step going down um and they're basically moving at the pace of the footmen and i was like well no duh you can only go like 10 15 miles a day with the the footman because of how much like exhaustion you're gonna gain from moving too fast too quickly um but they're probably moving faster than like a full-fledged army so i wouldn't be surprised if they could probably go 20 miles a, a day without too much problem i guess it's just it's it's a very like if you're a runner and you just like run track cross country or whatever you can cover a mile in six minutes if you're like going really fast. You could probably even go five and a half minutes if you wanted to. But when you're, you know, a footman, where you're carrying weapons, armor, you're garbed. Imagine being a trumpeter. You're carrying a trumpet. <laughs> it's not sitting in a wagon somewhere where you get yours handed out to you when you have to go blow it or something. Like, that's a lot of weight. And you can't run very long in that way. Like battles, you don't start running until you're about to clash. And when you're clashing, you're already burning so much stamina, you can't do much else after the battle anyway. 
Um, so these guys aren't capable of moving in large groups and covering a lot of distance really quickly. Albeit, it's a much smaller force than most battles typically would be fought with. So potentially they can move faster. But I'm imagining they're they're moving at a much slower pace than they would like. Um, but basically, she thinks back to like, um, where how like the Aes Sedai she's met and stuff, and they're not really exactly unfriendly, but they just prefer or they they seem more distant, and like they're constantly preoccupied with something else. So, being that they're always having a cool head and not jumping everything that goes by, um, she remembers all of the tales her mom had told her, and it's, her mom basically had told her, like, you know, what men tell you about Aes Sedai is just fool men's nonsense. But none of the women in Emmons Field, including her mom, had ever met an Aes Sedai before Moraine showed up. And Moraine was proof that not all Aes Sedai were like the tales. Cold manipulators and merciless destroyers. Breakers of the world. And she knows that like those specifically, the Breakers of the World, had been male Aes Sedai when there were such in the Age of Legends. But it doesn't make her feel much better. And not all Aes Sedai were like the tales, but how many and which ones. I would like to point out that they leave out a lot of information about the male Aes Sedai, and we don't really learn it till much, 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 much later. And I'm not going to go into it now because I don't want to ruin it for anybody. But just keep in mind that just because it's picked upon, like, oh, well, the male Aes Sedai are the ones that caused the breaking of the world, it's not as simple as that. And there are actual reasons as to why it was the male Aes Sedai, which has always been something that irked me to no end, but I guess tuck that away for later. It might take a while, though, so be prepared for the long, long tuck away. So, now we have just random Aes Sedai showing up to the tent every night, and it doesn't help. You got Alviarin, cool and businesslike as a merchant, um, and was surprised that Nynaeve was even part of the lesson, but he's like, okay, sharpen her criticisms, but always ready to try again. That's a quick description of Alviarin. And we have Alana Mosvani, and she's, uh, Alviarin's a white, Alana Mosvani's a green, and she laughs and spends a lot of time talking about the world and men, you know, greens. Um, and then she did teaching, so it's like a 50-50. But she show, Alana showed a bit too much interest in Rand, Perrin, and Matt, and it made Egwene a little uncomfortable, especially about Rand, which obviously, Egwene still has this thing in her mind where basically Rand's hers. But then they have Leandrin, who's red. And she's the only one who wore her shawl at this point. And everybody else had him packed away before leaving Faldara. Leandrin, you know, fingers her red fringe shawl and, you know, teaches a little bit, but not very much. But she questions Egwene and Nynaeve if they've basically been guilty criminals and were always about the three boys and never about them. And 
Nynaeve eventually threw her out. But, um, but Egwene wasn't sure why Nynaeve threw her out, but when Leandrin was thrown out, she left with a warning, like, watch yourselves, my daughters, you are in your, you are in your village no longer. Now you dabble your toes where there are things to bite you. I'm just like, who's the one being sneaky and, like, asking questions they shouldn't be asking? Oh, that's right. It's you. <laughs> yeah, um, really not selling the Reds right now. Just, just saying. I've never found the Reds to be particularly enjoyable to be around, but there are a few exceptions to the rule. But you're not going to see them for a long time. Um, uh, I look forward to just hating on them for a while. <laughs> you'll get plenty of opportunities, trust me. <laughs> There's, uh, I think it's like five, book five or six where it gets like really dark really quick. Um, so we'll, we'll get there. So basically, um, they finally show up at this village called Mido, um, on the banks of the Mora, which basically is the border between Shinar and Arafel, and it goes into the river Arnon. And the river Arnon goes down to Tarvalin, so it's kind of like a no-brainer to go this direction. But Egwene was a little curious about the Aes Sedai's questions about Rand that made her begin dreaming of him, and also worrying about him and stuff. It's actually funny, because like from a scientific standpoint, the last thing you think about at night is typically what you dream about, allegedly. Uh, I don't know if it's completely true, but I've heard science blurbs on about it, and that's allegedly what you were supposed to be dreaming about. Now, how long you dream about that before you shift to something else, I have no idea, but just a fun fact. So, it probably means Egwene was thinking about Rand a lot, which, I mean, the lack of Matt and Perrin showing up in her dreams and her thoughts even in this little sentence paragraph shows she's not really thinking about Matt and Perrin right now. Which no. kind of sucks for Perrin, considering how much time Egwene spent with Perrin and how many times Perrin saved her life. But whatever. Yeah. When they next see each other, it's like, oh, it's so good to see, see you, Egwene. Yeah, she's Who gone. You? <laughs> and she's gone. <laughs> Rand! <laughs> so. I got beat up a lot for you. <laughs> I know, right? So. Uh, Perrin, it, it, it sucks to be you sometimes. Just sometimes. Um, and it actually went well all the time, actually. <laughs> was that sarcasm? I no, that was straight statements of fact. But basically, all the dreams are always bad, and it just seems like a nightmare and whatever. But once they reach Meadow, Mido, I'm not sure if it's Meadow or Mido, because I don't remember this one. It could be either one, technically. Um, Egwene asks an Aes Sedai if she'd seen Moraine. And the slender Aes Sedai um, just kind of like waved her away and went down to the crowded torchlit village street and asking somebody to be careful of their horse. And she was of the yellow Aja, but not wearing a shawl. She just knew based off of it. Uh, more or less. Basically just looking at her, she knows who she is, despite her not wearing a shawl and despite that she doesn't even know her name. But the village is really small, and Egwene was shocked to realize that, you know, it's a small village, was as big as Emmons Field, and it was overwhelmed with many more people from outside of the village 
than there were people who actually lived in the village. And there were horses and people filling the streets. I don't imagine it's like, it's not quite as big as Barillon, but it's probably way busier than Emmons Field ever was. And people are in horses just packed shoulder to shoulder in this entire place and, you know, going to the docks and whatever. And it's really, really, really busy. But you get a lot of Aes Sedai mingling in and whatnot because it seems like they're looking to possibly get uh, passage on a ship of some sort. And they see the horses are getting hoisted and boarded uh, by booms and cables and canvas um, onto the ships. And the ships were high-sided stout lanterns on their masts. Um, and then there, there's like ships everywhere filling this river. So I'm assuming that it's the same stuff that they traveled up from Tarvalin on and they pretty much were just waiting here until they turned around and came back a couple days later. I'm guessing. So Egwene heads to one of the docks and finds Anaya. And if I remember correctly, Anaya is blue. Um, but Anaya has like a homely, motherly feel about her. And Egwene notices that she kind of seems like a woman from home, you know. You can see her, picture her in a, in a kitchen baking, which is like, you're, you're literally standing there imagining an Aes Sedai baking in a kitchen. That's just kind of weird. Um, but she asks her if she's seen Moraine. And Anaya looked around and was like, oh, no, I haven't seen her. She's, she's gone. And uh, your friend Nynaeve is already out on the River Queen. And I had to bundle her out on a boat myself, shouting that she would not go without you. And it's like, ugh, what a scramble. And she mentions that, you know, Egwene needs to be on board as well. And, like, get a boat going out to the River Queen, and you'll be traveling with the Amarlin Seat. So be careful while you're on the board. And, you know, don't cause a scene. and Don't do any tantrums. And Egwene, again, asks, like, well, where, where is Moraine Sedai's ship? And Anaya's like, well, Moraine's not on the ship. Like, she's gone two days ago. And the Amarlin is in a fit because of it. And Anaya, you know, grimaces because obviously Anaya was one of the roommates of Moraine. It's like, first Moraine vanishes with Lan, then Leandrin right behind her, and then Varen. And none of them say anything as much as a word. And Varen didn't even take her warder, Tomas, and... He's chewing nails with worry over her. Now, funny thing about this. Because of the warder bond, a warder and an Aes Sedai can tell where each other are in terms of, like, direction. So, if Lan and Moraine are on opposite sides of town, they could point directly at the person, like, the direction the person is that they're bonded to. Like, Lan could point straight at Moraine, Moraine could point straight at Lan. Because of the bond. However, there is a way to hide yourself from the bond. Now, how people can mentally do this for long periods of time, I don't know. But we'll learn more about that later. So I don't want to like go into it. But that's that's just to explain why the bond is there and Tomas can't find Varen. Now, 
why she didn't take Tomas? I don't know. There's probably a reason for it. They don't really cover it. At least not here. Um, so Anaya's, you know, still kind of like looking up around nature and saying like, well, we're going to have to call the wind again, which explains how they got up here to begin with, even though the Omelin's not going to be okay with that. But she wants them to get to Tarvalon and leave within the hour. So no delays. <laughs> And I was like, oh, I wouldn't want to be Moraine, Leandrin, or Varen when she sees them next. They'll wish they were novices again. And Anaya notices something's up with Egwene. She's like, well, what's the matter? And Egwene, you know, takes a deep breath. She's like, well, in her mind, she's like, well, Moraine's gone. I mean, I have to tell somebody, but she can't be gone. I need somebody who's not going to laugh at me. And she imagined Anaya back in Emmons Field listening to her daughter's problems. The woman fit the picture. <laughs> it's like, um, it's like, Anaya said, I, Bran's in trouble. And then, you know, Anaya just kind of like gives her a look, just thinking about her. He's like, you know, the tall boy from your village? He's like, missing him already, are you? I was like, nailed it. Because <laughs> um, like, I wouldn't be surprised if he is in trouble. You know, men his age are usually, especially the young ones. The other one, though, Matt, he had the look of trouble. Well, I mean, I don't mean to mock you or make light, but what kind of trouble and how do you know? He and Lord Ingtar must have the horn and be back in Faldara by now. How absolutely confident you must be to know that exact thing. It's like, or else they've had to follow it into the blight, and there's nothing to do about that. And... This is the interesting part for Egwene, where she's like, I'm not sure they're in the Blight or back in Faldara. I had a dream. But she says it partially as like a statement, like cautionary stutter statement, but half of it is kind of like defiance. And it's it sounds silly, and she, know, she knows and recognizes it sounds silly when she says it, but she says the, the dream felt real to her, although it was more of a nightmare. And there had been a man with a mask over his face and fire in a pit of his eyes. Um, and despite the mask, he was surprised to see her, and it, he frightened her to the part where she thought her bones would break from shivering. And then he vanishes, and she saw Rand sleeping on the ground, wrapped in a cloak, and a woman had been standing over him, looking down. Not creepy at all. Her face was in shadow, but her eyes seemed to shine like the moon. Tuck that away for later. And Egwene knew she was evil. I'm like, how do you know she's evil? You see a woman looking down. You can't see her face. And there's a moon. No, dude, you're forgetting. She, this poor woman's just looking at Rand. Of course, <laughs> she has to be evil. <laughs> she's looking at my man. She's evil. <laughs> I mean, probably. Just Evil incarnate, just don't touch my man. It's the dark <laughs> one! She's looking at my I man! I'm going to chastise him as he long as I can for... How dare you, Rand? How dare you get stared at? Woman. <laughs> oh, it's so funny. Um, I know people just like that. It's terrifying. <laughs> the sad thing is that it is true, but I've never been fond of jealous people like that. Um... But basically, you know, she just is like, oh, there's she's pure evil. And then there's a flash of light and they're gone, both of them. 
And I'm like, that doesn't sound creepy at all, but it might represent something later. So tuck that away for later as well. Um, and basically, uh, with time slowing, the dream slash nightmare slowly faded away. But it was a little different than she's normally used to. She's she felt like she was in danger during this time frame. But she knows that the danger is not aimed at her, but at Rand. And she wasn't sure if the woman had been Moraine, but then she, like, you know, chastised herself for that. And she's like, Leandrin fits that part better. Or maybe Alana, because she had been interested in Rand, too. Now we're back to the whole, every woman who's interested in my man is evil. <laughs> Yeah, like, no, 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 yeah, obviously. Oh, it's so funny. Um, but she couldn't really tell Anaya. So she's like, well, I know it sounds foolish, but he's in danger, great danger. I know it, and I can feel it, and I still can. So Anaya has this strange, thoughtful look on her face, and I'm pretty sure Egwene was not expecting that. She's like, well, now, that's a possibility. I'll wager no one had considered it. He's like, perhaps you're a dreamer least a small chance but we haven't had one of those in oh four or five hundred years and dreaming is closely linked to foretelling so if you really can dream it may be that you can also foretell that would put it be a finger in the red's eye now keep in mind the reds have elida who can foretell and anaya's blue and blue and red are like about as far apart in similarities as possible they're very much opposing opposites. Um, so they're like, well, if you really can dream, then maybe you can foretell, you know, all that stuff. And then it's like, well, it could also just be an ordinary dream brought on by a late night and cold food and us traveling really hard. Are you missing your young man? Oof, nailing that one right on the head. Um, much more likely. But I, I know, you know, you're worried about him, but did your dream indicate what kind of danger? And... Egwene, amazingly, has not taken offense to this yet. Um, but she's like, no, he just vanished, and I felt danger and evil. It felt like it had felt it before even he vanished. It's like, I could still feel it. And he's like, well, we're, we'll talk about more on the River Queen, and if you are a dreamer, I'll see you have the training that Moraine should be here to. Uh... And then all of a sudden, she just, you there! <laughs> the first thing I thought when I read this... Um, Several times, obviously not the first time when I was really young, but like after playing like uh, the Elder Scrolls games, I hear you there, halt, criminal scum. Person that pops you'll, pay with your blood. <laughs> you'll pay with your blood. You'll pay for your very lives. Like that's the first thing that popped in my head, and I just laughed my head <laughs> off because it feels so like March it. Over to this poor man just vaporizes him. <laughs> Basically, I'm just imagining like lights coming out of her eyes, just turns him to ash in seconds. But she barks at really suddenly, and Egwene just freaks out and jumps because she doesn't know what's going on. There's a tall man who just sat down on a cask of wine, and he jumps as well. And others just like start moving really, really fast to get out of the area. It's like, hey, that's for loading on on the, the ship, not for resting on. <laughs> and then she all of a sudden, you know, looks over back at Egwene. He's like, we'll talk later on the boat, child. He's like, no, you fool! If you can't carry it by yourself, do you want to hurt yourself? <laughs> I just like, like he just scared the magician of the guy. The guy's gonna have superhuman powers for the next five minutes. You might as well let him move it. 
That's just so funny. Does he put a fair gun on the cool man? I mean, you have an eye and I yelling at you. You're gonna you're gonna do do some work, man. There is no laziness when they have their eyes on you. But you know, Anaya goes down the dock, you know, giving them the rougher side of her tongue, and Gwen's like, "Wow, I didn't know she had it in her." <laughs> but um. Egwene looks into the dark towards the south and is like, I'm sure he's out there somewhere. Not in Faldara, not in the Blight. And she's like, looking south, which is kind of creepy because she doesn't have a bond with him. But she's already looking in the right direction. And there's not a reason why other than her dream. And she's like, hold on, you wool-headed idiot. If you get yourself killed before I can get you out of this, I will skin you alive. <laughs> uh, can't, can't even go five seconds while I'm insulting the poor man. Just not only insulting him, but threatening him as well. <laughs> yeah. And she doesn't, she doesn't. This is a very deeply unhealthy relationship. <laughs> you just now realize that? No, I mean, just, no, I'm just constantly getting reminded of that. Are you, are you implying that having an unhealthy dose of jealousy is unhealthy for an unhealthy relationship? That's unhealthy, yeah, James. You might get in trouble for that. <laughs> Yeah, you know, just saying comments like that, that's bad for your health. <laughs> Tomorrow, I'll be like, oh, James died in a boating accident. <laughs> Something like that. Yeah, I'm just getting nine names just to cover my head in. Yeah, basically. Although I feel like Leandre would be more fit for the duty. Um, But basically, from this point, she, she doesn't really think, like, how is she going to get him out of anything? She's going to Tarvalon. Like, how is she going to do any of this? So she grabs her cloak around her and she looks for a boat to to board the River Queen. And that's the chapter. So, thoughts, good sir? Uh, I liked it. I main takeaway that I sort of had with this is sort of just yeah, like more insight into just the Aes Sedai because the culture you know, for as much about them, yeah. Yeah, for as much as you like you just like people talk about them we don't actually know like that much about you know the Sedai and here like the sort of kind of internal processes that they have and well we only know what the rumors and what people say yeah, not necessarily then, what they are actually like although yeah. the rumors might not be far off depending on who you're talking about because remember the Ajas all act differently so it's not like you're gonna get like a representative of the blue and all the Aes Sedai are like the blue or a representative from the red and all Aes Sedai are from the red. Although, excuse me. Woo. That came out of nowhere. Um, <laughs> although the red are probably out and about a bit more than most of the other odd jobs because you got to hunt down Manuk and channel and stuff and it doesn't do itself. So <laughs> like that's, that's the main probably representation that the Aes Sedai have. And the red don't leave good impressions on people for the most part, specifically on men, because they treat men like crap um, for the most part. There are exceptions to the rule, of course. But if somebody like a peddler or a merchant or a merchant's guard, no less, has a bad run in or encounter with um, a red or something, then it's not unlikely that that person's going to take that tail and spread it everywhere they go. That makes the most sense to me, at least. But, yeah, I mean, 
yeah. <laughs> what else yeah. did you think about it? Uh, well, yeah, there's even like a few little tidbits that we've seen with between uh, Moraine and um, Egwene, just here, like learning to channel also. I know, I, I did like it. You like mean Moraine see... and Egwene or Nynaeve and Egwene? Sorry, um, Moraine Brain didn't just... train anybody in this chapter, so no, no, I meant like we saw that in the previous book. Oh, so yeah. like to, to to then sort of kind of expand a little bit more on that. Yeah, I don't. I, I just I just really like it to sort of see people with like different, uh, I guess, training uh, routines and regiments and sort of stuff like that. And also, how Gwen was like, I wish it was Moraine doing this. <laughs> yeah. But anything else you think about it, or I mean. Anything about the dreamers or how Egwene knows things she knows or her dream specifically? Well, again, like it's all sort of exploring concepts here which haven't quite been introduced yet, so I'm not going to say anything. But um, and this is entirely me possibly being an idiot, but you we've just hit the well. Yeah, it was a big surprise there. <laughs> but with, uh, well, with Pardon Fane um, mentioning Rand's disappearing trick, um, I don't. I, I'm, I'm just wondering if he, like, he, if that's somehow well, in connection with. You know what that is, hmm? though, right? Well, I, I thought we covered I that feel, last chapter, so I feel I probably I feel I probably forgot that. Well. Basically, the whole deal with Padan Fane's connection to them was basically Ba'alzaman connecting them. So that he basically was taken to Sheol Ghul and instilled with a feeling yeah, slash yeah, I know, notice. I, I know how he tracks. Yeah, so that's so. that's that's what it's from, as opposed to something like Egwene knowing where he's at. Where she's like, no, no, no. I'm seeing them in no, the dream. No, no, no. The, the point that I'm getting to is that uh, Pan Fane like loses Rand, and I don't know if he, this mysterious mystery, sorry, mystery woman, is in connection to that because I can't remember if it's explained to like um, if Rand is doing anything or if anything's happening to Rand. Like if he's in proximity to an Aes Sedai, does that do anything or? Yes, is it the whole the, when, he, when he's referring to losing him, he's referring to at Faldara. So when Padan Fane was in the prison, he could spot where he was in the whole keep. The only times he couldn't is when he went a certain place, and the certain place would be something where like an Aes Sedai is warding the location. So it's basically like an anti interference shield or something like that. Like. It basically creates a barrier that nobody can spy through, essentially. So in doing so, it cuts off that person would technically vanish. You wouldn't know where they were. Yeah. So if that That's was the cool. case, then that means like anytime they're talking to the Omerlin, or if Moraine summons him to talk to her her bedchambers or something, that's that instance. Yeah. But as for the identity of this uh mystery woman. When I first read this, I did instantly think of Moraine, but I feel that's here like a bit of a lead on, just here like would be like kind of 
uh, how it's written, and like even even the like um, Egwene's like first thought is like, what if it's Moraine? But then she just like dismisses it instantly. So really, I have no idea. Well, I guess we'll find out more. <laughs> Ooh, yeah, no, no. There's, or will we? Dun dun dun. Sorry. End of the series. I'm going to get horribly murdered here by a <laughs> by a Gwen, So, <laughs> oh, or at least the fans yeah. are Gwen. Come on, we all we all knew it was going to happen. <laughs> all right. So, now that chapter twelve is over with, uh, would you like <clears throat> to chill, or would you like me to chill? I guess you can chill. Alrighty. So. Thanks, everybody, for hanging out with us. I know it was a bit of a crazy episode because of the, the very short and sweet, but lots of deep information. And it's probably not the most exciting information either, mind you, but it had some good humor in it, I thought. <coughs> um, at least from looking from the reader's perspective. <laughs> um, yeah, thanks for hanging out with us. And if you guys would like to comment about something of this particular episode or anything else you can always reach us personally and directly through our gmail which is tales of a red arm at gmail.com you can also reach us at twitter and facebook which twitter would be at tales of a red arm and facebook would be just tales of a red arm and on both our Twitter and Facebook, you can reach us through direct messaging or comment on a post or our page in general. Um, also on Twitter and Facebook, you have links to our Discord. And through our Discord, we would like to ramp it up a bit and get more people involved and just have a good time, ask questions, maybe have some live interactions with people um, just for fun. Uh, but yeah, um, that's plenty of ways you can get a hold of us, and we'd love to chat with you and just get to know the community a bit more. And the more people we bring into the community, the more fun we can have. So uh, feel free to reach us in any and all of those ways possible, and tell your friends, family, anybody you know who'd be interested in the information we bring to the table or the books or whatever. And even if they're not interested, invite them anyway. They might get interested. You never know. Um, <laughs> but let's uh, let's have fun in the community and fun with the series. So uh, thanks, everybody, for hanging out with us. And we'll look forward to joining us again and exploring Chapter 13. So we'll see you guys around. Until then. We drink all night and dance all day, and on the girls we'll spend our pay. And when we're done, then we'll awake to dance with Jack of the Shadows. We'll toss the dice however they fall, and struggle the girls be they short or tall. And follow young Matt wherever he goes to dance with Jack of the Shadows. We'll toss the dice however they fall, and struggle the girls be they short or tall. Then follow Lord Matt wherever he calls to dance with Jack of the Shadows.
We'll give a yell with the bloody curse And hog the mags that could be worse Let's ride away with the dark ones first To dance with Jack of the Shadows Yeah! yeah. 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 yeah.